Welcome to Redefining Reality, where we live at the intersection of wellness, business, and the birth of a global tribe. So relax your body-mind, open your heart, and recognize that we are the ones we've been waiting for. Welcome back, my friends, to another episode of Redefining Reality. Yep. It's a great one today. I'm so happy to be here with you. My name is Brian Hardy, wellness coach, entrepreneur, yoga teacher, student of human health and life. Because that is what I really am, student and teacher. Because you got to teach if you want to learn. you got to teach if you want to earn. I don't know if that's true. I just felt like saying it. Anyways, I'm coming to you from a very special location, a very powerful location, one that I've been blessed to end up in during my experience, and that is a private island owned by a friend of mine in uh, the area of Perry Sound, Ontario. I'll put up a picture of some of the views around this place, but it's phenomenal. We literally have our own island, and we've got jet skis and a bunch of different badass boats and water skis and wakeboards. I haven't actually taken those guys out yet. Just rode on some jet skis and some boats, and it's a blast. And so I'm getting to meet some amazing people, some of my friends, uh, associates, and business partners and friends who he is inviting up during this month of July 2016 and so I've been brought along to help things run smooth and to get paid to do it right to get paid to do things I love to do I love to nourish people I love to cook I love to spend time in beautiful natural settings I love to teach yoga I love to facilitate fitness and I've pretty much gotten to do all those things and will continue to be able to do all those things for the next two weeks so I am very blessed. I thank God. I thank life. I thank my friends and family who support me because I wouldn't be who I am or where I am without all of them. So with that said, today's episode is fantastic, if I do say so myself. It is with my friend Daniela. Daniela is a medical intuitive, a former biological conservation worker. She lived with indigenous tribes in the Okanagan Valley, traveled the world. She is fascinating. Fascinating, intelligent, beautiful, smart, open, connected, just a a joy to be around and to learn from and to share time and space with. So we actually recorded this in her partner's home studio which is a professional recording studio and you'll hear that at the beginning we give a shout out to them but the 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 audio should be pristine i hope you enjoy it and if you're enjoying these episodes if you want to support the podcast please 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 i would ask you take just a few minutes to log into itunes to rate review and subscribe 
And that way we can share the podcast with a larger audience. Our reach will be expanded and iTunes will know that people dig this show. And that is it. I will leave you to that. Enjoy the episode. If you've got questions, comments, you want to connect with myself or her or ask us about whatever it is we discuss, whatever might pique your interest, please do so in the comments on this episode, which you can find over at brianhardy.ca under the podcast tab. And until next time, be well, stay beautiful, and much love. Here we are, another episode of Redefining Reality in the amazing studio of our friend Marco here. And um, five to eight recordings. Yes, holding it down. So when you hear this pristine audio, give thanks to them. <laughs> and I'm here with my new friend Daniela. Hello. Daniela Medical Intuitive on Facebook. And uh, Rambaldini is my last name. Rambaldini. Yeah. Rambaldini. Yeah. Okay, very cool. And we are going to dive into a whole bunch of things about healing and health and what is a medical intuitive and how does that look or how how does one um, become a medical intuitive and all sorts of things. And so, I mean, I'm just very curious and I want to share what it is that you're doing. I had the opportunity to to glimpse a bit of Daniela's presentation at uh, an event that our friends put on last Sunday. Um, out in uh, Dufferin Grove Park called Heal the Field. And she was talking all about earth medicines. And uh, I missed the most of the talk, but I did see her spread of <laughs> herbs, all beautifully labeled and packaged, and the whole <laughs> herbs, you can see it in its glory. And uh, I was like, okay, this girl is for real. <laughs> she knows her stuff, and she's came prepared. So, yeah, thanks for uh, making the time and wanted to do this. You're very welcome and thank you for asking me. I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So very yeah. Let's um let's just do sort of, you know, start at the beginning as it were. And we don't have to go too in depth, but sort of, you know, how did you end up doing what you're doing? Uh let's say it was an act of providence for lack of a better way of putting it, <laughs> because it really didn't feel like it was my intention and certainly didn't feel like my direction or my goal. From the time I was very young, I was so sure I was wanted to be and, and did end up becoming for quite some years in my life a wildlife conservation biologist. I was very much a steward for the environment and for wildlife and for all animals and plants because I felt they didn't have a voice. So I always had a strong sense of um, helping, of a sense of solidarity, and that's what I wanted to see in the world. So... After many years of doing that, always with that focus, um, when my life took a, a turn that I thought was just a pause, but it ended up being almost like a 180 turn in my life, <laughs> um, my, my focus and intent for what I wanted to create in the world didn't change. It was just more how I did it. And whereas I didn't think I would ever want to work directly with people, that's what I do now. And I absolutely love it. I still work with animals. I still do some sessions with animals. I'd actually like to expand that. Um, but one of the reasons I sort of allowed myself to actually embrace working with people was because given that now I work as an intuitive, um, I feel that I'm more 
able to really relate to a client or patient or another person based on what they're going through rather than what I learned from a book. And so the advice that I give is very tailored to them rather than something that I feel if I learned from a book is much more superficial. So that was the only reason I really felt comfortable doing this was, okay, now I know I can finally relate to a person um, and and give them what they need rather than what I think is appropriate for them. Um, How I came about doing this in particular though is something that I think is more related to my soul's intention rather than to my brain's intention Mm. and my psychic abilities were always very strong and open I just didn't recognize them so when I started to actually pay attention and realized the gift that I had I really wanted to share it with the world and feel that okay, now I can actually help in perhaps a more effective way than what I was doing before. I had a little bit more angst before because I didn't understand why people weren't respecting their own selves, uh, respecting each other, respecting other forms of life. And when I started to look beyond my own beliefs and tap into what other people were going through, I realized that most people aren't fully aware of how to live in their own bodies. So how can they really feel full enough, full of love, full of giving um, and full of energy to extend their caring and their focus and their sense of responsibility beyond themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really you can't, right? So the whole idea of yeah. like you can't pour out of your cup unless you're full. You yeah. can't give unless you've got excess. Sure. And yeah, sadly we're not taught that or it's not integrated into our society in how to raise people to have that excess right to be so solid within themselves to know who they are to love who they are yeah. to know their gifts and to be able to share that um and so it's interesting i meet more and more people like yourself who are have taken this path and are really really super aware of what's going on and what their own sort of purpose is and what they want to create and uh, like like mining themselves, as it were, for their gifts mm. to find those that gold and those diamonds, and then share that out. Um, it's always such a pleasure meeting people that have, and meeting people with with such a range of gifts. So, I mean, getting into the intuitive side of things, how does that work? How do you tune into somebody or get this intuitive sense? Is it like a felt sense? Is it a vision in your head? Is it a voice? Like what does that play out as? It's a combination of all of the above actually. And as I've been doing this, I used to do it informally at first when I started to do it professionally because I do it every day. It's it's really shifted. Um, So now it comes more as clear cognizance. So as a knowing, but I still do see visuals. I still do hear voices as I have throughout my life. Um, And I still do feel Feel sensations. So, for example, if I'm tapping into the, someone else's field, uh, there are times where I will feel a certain symptom. I will feel a certain emotion. That used to be a lot stronger when I first started to do this professionally because I was still learning how to deal with the connection and dealing with another energy field. I was still learning how to deal with my energy field Mm. Um, and and processing the experience of another energy field was something that I had to become adept at. And also understanding the distinction between what I was experiencing in my own energy field and then what was happening in the merging. Because as I merge with, um, I wouldn't say 
you know, maybe merging isn't the best uh, term because of the visuals that kind of come from that. Uh, it's more of a tapping in. It's more of a directing my focus and my attention. So whereas most people have their focus and attention uh, directed into their own energy field and therefore they feel all the sensations that come from their physical body that is a representation of their energy field, I can direct my focus onto another energy field and essentially experience that which is being vibrationally created um, and and presented there. Um, so I feel like it's like reading a book. <laughs> Truly, mm. that's what it feels like when I tap into someone's field. I'll, I'll see things. I'll see how energy flows. I'll see visuals that are sometimes pictures that are like memories that a, a person has uh, or a, a picture of what their world looks like now. I'll feel I'll hear voices that either come from my so-called spirit guides or their guides, um, or even from the spirit themselves. I can have a conversation with the spirit. I'll perturb their energy field, see how it responds. Uh, and like I said, a lot of it is just comes like a knowing. Uh, the way I do my readings now is a little bit different than actually very different from what I did it when I first practiced. But right now, I'm if if someone were to look at me from the outside, they would just see me sitting at my desk typing at my computer if I'm doing a reading uh, when a client isn't there. If I do a live reading, it's different. But I'm just sitting there and it's like I'm I'm writing something that's coming from the top of my head, like I'm creating a story or something, but I'm really tapped into someone's field and just just letting that information stream in based on what area of the body or what area of the soul's path and, and vibrational experience I'm looking at. So I'm not sure if that really answers your question because it's descriptive more than the mechanics of what it is. Um, I can mm. describe the mechanics of it as, as far as we can conceptually understand existence is. Um, so it's starting to become a lot more understood and and perhaps a lot more accepted that we are on some level vibrationally unified. And not only are we vibrationally unified, but we're also, maybe this isn't a word, but sensorially <laughs> unified as well. And the extent to which you can empathize with another living being um, and even not what we might call living, just another expression of the same force that makes a living being, the, the extent to which you can empathize with that, whether you do it with something that is physically near you or something that is physically distant to you, whether in space or time, is what determines the degree to which your intuition has been developed or your psychic abilities have been developed. So, the way I visualize it is imagine a a blanket that isn't necessarily, you know, we're, we're not a unified field. We're not a two-dimensional or third-dimensional unified field. It's nth dimensions. It's, it's uh, beyond multidimensional. I think there's something that we probably can't even fathom. Um, on that, on that field, uh, imagine certain nodes, nodes being like a concentrated form of that energy. And the more concentrated it is and the more defined it is, you can imagine it is uh, not only drawing this sort of life force or the matrix of what creates this unified field towards it, but also shaping it in its own particular and unique way. Um, actually, one really good analogy is a carpet. So 
if you were to look at a carpet and you could all the threads and you look at it from the top, it looks like every thread is individual. But the deeper you go into every thread, you realize that they're all connected. The deeper you go into yourself, the closer you get to that unified field. Now, it's very beautiful and important to be your own unique thread because when you look at the carpet, it has a gorgeous design when every thread is its brightest, most beautiful, most unique self. But when you can also appreciate that unique nature of individuality, and also appreciate that you as a thread are connected to every other thread, no matter where on the rug it is, then you also have almost like a telephone line connecting you to every single thread. Um, and so that's how I connect to to clients. I find the particular vibration that they're at. I find the telephone line that will bring me to that particular thread and have a conversation with the depth of the thread, not the top of it, because the top of the thread is what might be more defined by the human brain rather than the soul and the vibration that I'm connected to. Wow. Wow. Yeah, see, I love that. And I love how much more of an elegant way of going about gathering information and sort of assessing the state of a person and where they're in and out of balance. Because, yeah, it's like the brain can conceptualize and rationalize and get confused and be, you know, unclear and have all sorts of intellectual uh, baggage, as it were, stories, Stories, right, that we get so wrapped up in. And so if you try and get information from someone about their health and they jump into a story, then it's like, okay, that's not the real in like I need the pure source yeah so I love that you're just going straight to the source right right (laughs) and also helping people to realize themselves what they're not recognizing so every time I work with a client I tell them I don't want to know anything about you the only thing I need to know I don't even need to know someone's name if I have a conversation with someone I could tap into them through that I could tap into something that they own or something that they've touched Um, I could Mm -hmm. tap into them if I'm speaking to someone who knows them um, and they'll just mention someone's name and I'll just tap into them through that. So there, there are a lot of different ways that um, I can tap into someone, but just to keep it as sort of clean and concise and and secure that I am tapping into the right energy field, I use a client's full name. And like I said, I don't want to know anything about their stories. I don't want to know what it is that they're interpreting because it may or may not be very accurate. And oftentimes people have stories about things that they don't want to actually face. And every time I do a reading, I'm not only looking at physical symptoms that might present be presenting or physical imbalances and what's going on at the cellular level or at the organ level, but I'm also looking at the emotions and the vibration that are creating these imbalances and that are shifting and causing the energy flow to, th- to flow through the system in a certain way. And again, I help people realize things that they may not consciously be aware of or things that they don't want to be consciously aware of. So a lot of the sessions I have can be very, very intense because the emotions are just as important, if not more important than any other physical thing that a person can take or do in their lives to help support their entire well-being. So it is a very holistic approach. And like you said, when you're talking to someone and you're hearing their stories through the filter of their mind, uh, as a practitioner, even if you you do respect and honor that emotions are very important to, to address um, in a healing process or even just in living in general, um, it's difficult to 
to kind of go past that story because you might start to get caught up in it and start to see their point of view and start to understand and sort of agree with their rationalizations or justifications. You know, it's like, hold on a second. I don't want to be caught up on this, mm-hmm. <laughs> on this story. This is what you need to move through in order to get to what's really going on beneath the story of it. Mm-hmm. I love that. And thank you for the reminder. And I just, I mean, for any practitioners out there that are listening to this, I think it's so easy to get caught up in, you know, the herbs and the foods and the supplements and the sleep and the exercise and all those more physical, biochemical things that are important, no doubt, but aren't, don't seem to have the most sort of potency in terms of addressing to really make shifts happen, right? And so for myself, I know, I mean, being being a young male raised in North American culture, not too in tune or honoring of emotions all the time. And uh, really seeing, I mean, and we know this from looking just sort of at populations, right, of people that grow old and happy and have simple, just beautiful lives, right? And they might not eat the most amazing stuff or they might not be exercising this proper prescriptive, you know, whatever it is, but they feel good, right? And they're, they have joy and peace in their lives and connection with other humans that brings that sort of package of emotional support, as it were, yeah. that is more, yeah, it's more fundamental and more foundational to really like optimal wellness than a lot of the products or, you know, sexy things that, we, that they are trying to sell to us or that are being sold to us. For sure. And it's also... Sorry. It's also a two-way flow. So whereas emotions in the more, let's say, ethereal or less physical aspects of your existence will impact your physical health, your physical health will also impact your emotions. So it's very important to encompass all of it. So while you might be shifting your emotions, but you are still feeding your body or treating your body in a way that's not going to support it, you're only going to go so far in being able to shift your emotions especially with food, you as a nutritionist, you're aware of this, that whatever you eat is not only going to affect your gut, but because your gut is so energetically and also in terms of its nervous plexus entwined with the brain, that a lot of your emotions, a lot of your perceptions come from or are influenced by the health of your gut. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have a very happy gut, you're not going to have a very happy mind. And if you don't have a very happy mind, then that's the master controller that is influencing how the entire nervous plexus throughout the entire system is is operating and if the message is always i'm miserable we're stressed out (laughs) protect ourselves the world is not safe or whatever else it is or i'm angry because this person behaved a certain way then the rest of the body is going to start to receive that message and reflect it in what we call disease or imbalance Mm -hmm. yeah and um and like depression right and like the whole epidemic of like mental illness and depression that's going on and uh, how so much of that is, yeah, due to an unhappy gut, right? It's like if you don't have your gut making the serotonin and the things that allow your brain to function and feel good, I don't care what you know, what drugs you take or what yeah. uh, other things you try to do. If your gut's inflamed, it's not going to work, right? You're For not, sure. you just can't feel good. So, yeah, very, very important stuff to to remember. Um, there's a great book that I intend to look through called, uh, what's it called? 
Kelly Brogan just wrote it. It's all about depression and uh-huh. about how um, more of this side of depression and addressing the nutritional and the hormonal and the emotional Amazing. side of things. Yeah. And showing that, you know, SSRIs really don't work um, better than placebos, right. right? And yet they're still being pushed on so many people. Um, so, yeah. And and for those of you who are listening that maybe don't have an understanding of anatomy or physiology, when she says plexus, right, the nervous plexus, essentially just think like your nerves, like the wiring of your body, right, where the signals are transmitted and received, sort of your inner electrical system. Yeah, like right? a network or a circuit board. Yeah. yeah, and so we know that our gut has one of the, the largest, if not the largest, abundance besides the actual brain, and besides maybe the heart um, the most abundant uh, connections in terms of the nervous system, right? So yeah. when you think about, um, you know, the whole, like, you got your head brain and your heart brain and your gut brain. There's probably a couple other brains in there. Yeah, I think so, like reproductive organ brain. Yeah. And actually that comes from Tracy McBurney. Do you, do you know oh, Tracy McBurney? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She She postulates that there's probably also a brain in the reproductive organs, and I fully agree. Actually, mm. uh, you know, having done hundreds of readings now on clients all around the world when I'm learning about how the, the body operates energetically and physically is is quite phenomenal and something that um, I think a lot of practitioners of, of energetic modalities uh, realize and agree on. And that from a physical perspective, you couldn't, you, you would probably never put the two things together or you would never probably really see the whole picture. Um, the way memories are stored in the body and in the cells and the way certain organs have their own story um, and how it starts to integrate and um, and and weave into the whole story of the soul or the whole story of, of the soul's experience in this incarnation is really quite fascinating. And it's, you start to gain a very deep appreciation for how difficult it can be and how challenging it can be to shift certain patterns because once you have a certain pattern or once you have a certain perspective or belief and perspective of reality, it really does become your perspective of reality. It's difficult to see beyond it to you. It's just so real. It's so, and sometimes it's so real. Sometimes it feels so right and anything else feels Mm -hmm. wrong or uncomfortable and fearful. And your body is also on some level keeping you there because it will react or it will feel very out of balance if you start to shift your your mental perspective so much and you behave in a different way your body's like no way remember all of this I'm storing it and I'm here mm. to protect you from doing that again because we didn't like what happened the first time you did that or mm-hmm. we didn't like what we were kind of shown is the potential so how we were taught and indoctrinated when we were children we are we're not empty slates when we're born. We, our soul has a memory, has an experience, whatever that may be, whether we're consciously aware of it or not. But we really do get indoctrinated by how we are rewarded or punished, whether that's directly or indirectly by the people who we are reliant on, whether it's our guardians or our parents, even our siblings and our teachers have 
great influence on us. And mm-hmm. all of that is stored in your body. And then it starts to become the patterned way of how you live. And a lot of people see that as something that needs to be healed. I actually don't like to take that approach very much because I think that when you're focused on healing, you're looking for what's wrong and what needs to be fixed. And I don't think there's mm. anything that needs to be fixed. I think we are here to explore ourselves, to explore each other. And when you change the perspective from healing and fixing to exploration and creation, and it becomes an integration. It becomes so much more exciting. It becomes so much more something that you're willing to do and something that you are even proud of because a lot of people feel that, oh my gosh, I have so much to heal, which means I'm broken, which means I can't show myself to people, which means mm. I don't feel comfortable connecting or explaining or, or um, showing myself to others and, and telling people how I feel deep down inside. And those emotions, no matter how you look at them, those emotions, let's say of sadness, anger, frustration, whatever they are, mm-hmm. they in and of themselves they don't have the the story that judges them that you have sort of applied to it. Um, anger is just anger. But when you judge it and you make it bad, it becomes a whole other different experience. And you can't just experience anger for what it is because you're judging yourself and you're adding so much to that and you're adding shame and guilt and embarrassment and you don't want to express it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't want to express it, you also don't want to look at it yourself. And then that becomes something that you hold onto yourself. And again, this then gives you this impression of, I have to heal, I have to fix myself, and I have to pretend to be someone or something else to the the rest of the world because I'm too embarrassed to show what Mm. is really going on inside me. And people will do this consciously and unconsciously. And the, the longer they do this in their lives, the less connected they are to themselves, the less aware they are of themselves and the less of life and of relationships they can actually explore, let alone enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That wow. leads to depression and enormous... De- depression is actually just a symptom of internal suppression. Yeah, I've heard the exact same thing. It's like the opposite of uh, depression is expression, Ah, right? Yeah. So if you can just let it out and be you and be seen. And it's so funny how... I mean, there was a lot there that I want to try and drill down into. <laughs> For sure. Um, but this whole idea of, yeah, first of all, wanting to heal, I'm right there with you, right? Let, let's let go of healing. And I always talk about harmonization and integration. Beautiful. And how, yeah, there's nothing to be healed because being, you know, needing healing assumes wrong, assumes disease, which is what our Western model's built on, right? Pathologizing everything, yeah. making a new disorder. It's like every <laughs> week there's a new disorder. It's like social anxiety disorder. Yeah, or, it's unreal. Know, so... Let's let go of that. Yeah. Um, Allow people to just be human. Yeah. <laughs> At what point do we say this is part of just being human? Yeah. Well, and one of the, I feel like, base needs of humans is to be seen and to be, you know, felt and received and feel safe. Mm-hmm. And if you never express who you truly are, you can never get that feeling of being seen. Right. So as long as we keep trying to be healed, like we'll we'll put on this facade until we're some, you know, pristine angel or something. <laughs> like it's never going to happen. And right. so we reinforce these perpetual cycles of like keeping ourselves locked in an internal prison. Yeah. Waiting for 
ourselves to give ourselves the key or something. It's like very, you know, it's <laughs> so backwards. So. <laughs> it's so backwards. Yeah, or even to walk out the door that's already open sometimes. And and this also, you sort of touched upon it. Like you said, it leaves you in a place of perpetual uh, perception of something's wrong. And oftentimes people not only get caught up in that, but they also get caught up in the identity of there's something wrong or the identity Mm. of I need to heal. And when you get caught up in that as an identity, whereas I am the person who's depressed, I am the person who has diabetes, I am the person who has cancer, and you don't um, separate yourself from that as an experience, then you also don't know how to let go of it. Because you don't know what to do with yourself after you lose this piece of your identity. And that oftentimes is a subconscious, um, I was going to say glitch, but I don't think it's a glitch. It's, it's a subconscious mechanism that is very difficult to override because people think, yeah, but I don't want to be sick. How could you tell me that I want to be sick? Well, you don't want to be sick, but moving out of your comfort zone involves healing or healing move, involves moving out of your comfort zone at the point that you identify yourself with being and living a certain way. And then when you no longer have this sense of identity, you feel not like yourself anymore and you feel very strange and all of the habits and the patterns that you start to incorporate into your life that you think you need to do in order to function or in order to be on your healing path it's going to feel foreign to not engage with those anymore and sometimes people feel like they're not taking care of themselves properly or they're not doing something good or right because what does it mean to let go of all this way of that I've been taking care of myself? How else do I take care of myself? How else do I just be in the world? How can I be free? And moving even a next step further beyond that, not only the physical aspects, but then what happens is the reason physical imbalances happen is because there are certain emotions that aren't being addressed and certain psychological perspectives that are being held onto or certain painful experiences that aren't being released. And you can't just going back to full circle to what we're talking about, you can't just focus on the physical aspects of it because those aspects that need to be looked at are still going to remain And if people reject examining those and exploring those and shifting them, then even if you correct a certain symptom or a certain imbalance, another one is going to crop up. And that's sort of the fundamental premise of holistic healing or Mm -hmm. holistic uh, natural medicine, I guess, holistic approaches to natural medicine that, Mm -hmm. um, that is, I think, pretty... Universal, <laughs> amongst yeah, super universal, yeah. universal. But then I find still, and may, whether it's a symptom of just living in the environment we live in, um, or how we are raised, or whatever it is, it's still so easy to find ourselves essentially practicing holistic, alternative medicine as a very symptom-based approach, right? And so it's like we're almost like doctors, except we're just using herbs and supplements, mm-hmm. right? Rather than getting to the root. Um, and it makes me think all sorts of things about, you know, how entire industries would have to disappear if we were to really address the roots of the issues that we claim we want to address. Um, and I hope that happens. I'm sure it will <laughs> at some point. Just yeah. it seems inevitable. Um, 
but it just brings to mind just the enormity of the shifts that are going on as this all unfolds mm -hmm. and as people really wake up to the potential and to the, the responsibility of addressing the roots and like breaking the cycles of trauma and abuse and whatever it is that you're experiencing or that you've inherited, um, which to me is exciting. I agree. Very I exciting. Agree. And I think I'm not sure if this is is a cliche or if something that you know people a lot of people say. But when you heal yourself, you heal the world. I, I think I've heard that said mm -hmm. before, and and it's so true because that's what it really boils down to is is every individual taking responsibility for their own ways of being. You can't take responsibility for someone else's ways of being in the same way you can't control how a person behaves. So you really need to focus on your own self. And as you do that, and as everybody does that, then the entire collective shifts. Mm -hmm. But what's challenging is inspiring people to want to do that. <laughs> yeah. And and that's and that's part of why I really enjoy doing what I do what I do because like I said, I'm able to empathize so profoundly with what a person is going through that I can only feel compassion for another person. I'm When I'm connecting to another person's energy field, it's like I am being that soul. I am seeing and experiencing life from that perspective for as long as I'm engaged with that person or with that energy field. And of course, every person who I'm connecting with, every, every vibrational field that I'm connecting with is still a reflection of the motley and of the uh, very extensive aspects that we all are. So I'm able to not only see myself in that, but I'm able to see sort of the whole of life, if you can really call it that, or the whole of human consciousness as we've created it. And when you experience things that way, then it's no longer like you're being preachy to someone because that's what it's sometimes how, uh, let's say, recommendations that sound a little bit lofty sometimes come off sounding preachy. And mm -hmm. I think we've all experienced that kind of message, either hearing someone else say it or sometimes I know I've been guilty of saying it to others as well. The intentions are loving. The intentions are to not only help this person, but to help the whole world. Hey, if you do this and we all do this, it'll be great. But it can sound really lofty because it's not something that maybe someone is ready to embrace or to embrace in that way. Mm. And it's not about imposing our opinions or our scholastic and academic ideas <laughs> upon someone else based on what we think is going to make a beautiful world. Because ultimately what's going to make a beautiful world is every single person embodying their own selves in the most unique, vibrant, joyful way. And you can't do that by teaching someone. You have to inspire people to find that desire within their own selves mm. and you can only inspire someone when you see someone for who they are and honor them fully not only for who they are now but for who they have been and what they've experienced and what it is that they wish to bring out in them mm. yeah yeah and i'm just i mean meeting people where they're at yeah i think is so important and often so hard especially if you've been into you know the the journey of improving and integrating your own experience for a while and it's hard to identify with what it was like before. Yeah. Um because to to you or I, you know, you can see the potential in an individual and you know you're like, oh I've been through that or I like I've seen that healed. Like that's easy, you know? But in their experience, 
it's like no i'm they're so attached to this yeah. and they don't they're they're fearful because they don't know what it maybe it means or how to get through it or what life will look like without it and so it becomes this uh that's where I love like studying and learning about the art of like coaching, right? Mm-hmm. And motivating and inspiring. Um rather than yeah, being the smartest book person, yeah. you know, and being able to quote, Oh, you need this many you know, <laughs> pills of vitamin C a day or whatever it is. Um, which becomes so like robotic and like not human, right? You lose yeah. the humanity of it, which is why I think people can't receive it. Um and we all know that uh or we've all felt particularly with ones we love right when we try and give that advice and it comes from that preachy place it all it does is reinforce their position right it just gives them more reason not to change yeah they feel threatened and so they start to become defensive which then creates energetic rigidity so your message gets completely lost as your intention i call that the missionary approach where (laughs) (laughs) very well intentioned but uh you know who are you to come in and say you're doing it all wrong because you're not doing it my way (laughs) i have to save you from yourself no no that's not quite what people need right Mm -hmm. um and you also mentioned um this this perception of let me see if I remember it how how it came through maybe I, I won't I, I won't kind of reiterate what you said because I don't remember it now but I do remember what I wanted to say um, when we think we know what a person needs then uh, and we th- oh I remember what it was. let me reiterate that mm-hmm. um, when you look at someone and say I remember being in that position and it was so easy and this is what I did and so this is what you can do you are looking at something that maybe was an easy lesson for you to learn or it was something that you didn't have a lot of resistance or fear or block around and you're then assuming that this to this other person it can be just as easy but one way to relate to someone is say okay this is what's really difficult for them and they can't shift out of it how am I being in my life right now around the things that are really difficult to me that maybe are easy for someone else? Imagine mm. if someone else came, came to me and said, that's so easy, just do this. And you're like, yeah, but I can't or mm. I don't want to or I'm too afraid. And when you start to put yourself em- empathetically in another person's position, not based on the details of what they're resistant to, but rather on the emotion of what it feels like to be afraid, what it feels like to feel resistant, what it feels like to um, think that you you don't have the tools or the capability to do something, or what it feels like to break through a habit that is so deeply ingrained in you that goes back to when you were a child. Maybe there was uh, you know, trauma is a heavy word, but as a child, some things that to an adult may seem a little bit minor could have been traumatic enough to a child that the child said, I'm never going to do this again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or I'm always going to do this because it was safe and I got rewarded, even if it's not something that is very beneficial over the long term. So when mm-hmm. you start to look at things that way, you can say, okay, I have to really nurture this person and sort of support them through it and hold their hand through it because that's what I need when I'm in a difficult spot. I don't want to be told I'm doing something wrong. I don't want to be told it's easy. I don't want to be told just do this because Mm. I can't just do this. If I could, I would do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm not for a lot of different reasons. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And one other thing that I want to jump back on, talking about the body and how Mm -hmm. things are stored in the body and how when you start changing things, the body can react in certain ways. I've been really torn on this and thinking a lot about it lately. 
because you hear people say in a very sort of uh, what seems idealistic and simple way, like, oh, just follow your heart. Just, your heart never lies, or like you know, the body never lies, or which I think in one hand is true. But I wonder if it has these things stored in it or these past traumatic experiences or whatever. Um, and it could also come from the mind if you have certain beliefs or certain ways of perceiving the world that the body would give um, sort of a false a false indication yeah. towards something. Um, and I've struggled with this myself and sort of I've consciously overridden like <laughs> gut feelings at certain points um, to have seemingly good effects and then other times to end up terribly ill. <laughs> And so, di- like distinguishing, okay, what is the body really saying, and can I trust it, has been something I've been just more aware of. I wonder if you have anything to, to mm-hmm, say on mm-hmm, that. For sure, um, I think the most important thing to uh, take from this is to do things, not necessarily gradually in the sense that you do things slowly, but to allow your body to shift through things at the pace that it's ready to take on without you babying yourself so much that you end up being in a state of denial about moving forward and also in a place where you don't completely shock your body because if you push your body, if you push any system very strongly one way, then you better be ready for the reaction that's going to come back. If you are ready for it, great, move forward. But just be aware that... Although the body is very, very resilient, there will be some, at some level, a backlash. Mm. So when it comes to listening to the own body's wisdom, I think that's very important. But like you said, we often interpret it through our brain, which has, you know, is usually operating on the subconscious level. All of our fears, all of our beliefs, all of our desires are what we think our desires, all of our needs and all of our expectations then get filtered. So the way we process things isn't necessarily just a clean, clear response from the body. Um, and I have, I've experienced this a few times working with clients who, for example, don't feel safe in the world, don't feel safe m- making decisions and being their own selves and they start to experience systemic reactions to it so they can't go in social situations they can't go some some clients can't even leave their house because their whole body will react their whole body gets paralyzed with fear and at that point it's necessary to or beneficial to come into a deeper state of understanding and realization of why it's happening so that then you can move through that and most people don't have that agency or that awareness to say okay this is a fear that's being embodied how do I move through it what happens instead is they stay in they remain in a state of panic or in a in a state of energetic tension or energetic closure where there are a lot of blockages and then they move forward anyway and mm. that's when the body is going to respond because or react rather in a negative way whereas you said sometimes you just kind of pushed on through said nope too bad but you're not actually allowing yourself to come into a state of openness to move beyond your comfort zone and so you're you're going forward with a whole bunch of um, not only energetic closure, but fear prominent in your field. And at that point, what's going to come back to you is going to be what you don't want to experience. So mm. um, this kind of touches upon the the concept of being a vibrational creator. Some people call this a law of attraction. I'm not 
too much of a fond fond of calling anything a law because we mm. don't uh, experience existence in its wholeness. So to call anything a law, I think, is very um, uh, myopic. But um, the the process of creating vibrationally will give you clues and cues as to what it is that you actually are feeling and the state that you are in based on the feedback that you get. So if your body responds in a negative way, then you weren't actually supporting yourself through this shift. You were expecting your body to, or thinking that it should be able to move beyond this, but not giving the necessary support. Mm. If you are open and you are ready and you are willing to honor and listen and respect what is happening, even if the brain is saying, I should be doing this and the body saying, no, we're not ready then that's a completely different experience where you can start to move beyond the boundaries of your comfort zone. I hope that answered your question. I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's holding it in balance, right? And recognizing, okay, this is where it's at. How can I gently or, you know, tenderly lead it to its edge, like the edge of the comfort zone? It's like they say in yoga, you know, find your edge. Ah, Or in any physical practice, really, right? You want to find your edge and not push too far beyond that because you'll hurt yourself. But not play it super safe and, you know, be weak and lazy. So it's like finding that balance and holding the awareness of, okay, this is the direction we're moving. And I need to support myself on every level in order to get there. That's perfect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also realizing that as you move beyond your comfort zone, the more and more you do it in a supportive way, you're actually expanding your capacity. And your capacity to, and your resilience to being and living outside of that comfort zone. And then expanding even more, expanding even more. And as you do that, not only are you capable of taking on more, but you've mastered and reached the point of taking taking on and being capable of taking on everything that's sort of within that zone that at one point was just your realm of all you could take on or all you can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that reminds me, like earlier, I didn't mean to say that um, that if you look at someone and you say, oh, that was easy. Right. Right. It's um, more so it seems easy in hindsight or because you have that new expanded. Right. So it would currently would be not so hard. But of course, if you're, you know, if your resilience uh, capacity is like so minimal that you can barely get through the day, then of course it's going to be a huge task to try and expand that and grow and move in different directions Um, a couple things I would love to hear Mm -hmm. about I get fascinated by uh, routine morning and evening routines and habits and how Mm -hmm. those can be so profoundly impactful on the way we live and the way we go about our day and how we set ourselves up for success whatever you want to think of as success um, I'm curious if you have a morning and or evening routine you'd like to share. Um, I do and I don't. And I do for my my body, um, my body and my mind, uh, body being a reflection of mind, are very easily perturbed because I'm so energetically sensitive. And throughout my entire life, it's been a process of learning how to constantly come into grounding. <laughs> 
<laughs> and centeredness um, because the level of energetic sensitivity that I have. So I can, um, and like I said, even earlier, that's been very much a learning process. So every time I sort of reach a new level of energetic sensitivity, I have to switch up my routine. <laughs> mm. um, so so I have routines that will sustain me for a certain amount of time until I reach sort of, I don't know, the peak of that, I guess you could say. Uh, and then it's a whole new learning ground for me, which has been absolutely amazing because I've learned so much, not only about the system, but about energy and expansion. Um, I tend to grow very quickly, um, energetically at least, and probably emotionally, psychologically as well. So I do have an early morning routine. I usually do... um, meditation practices and energetic practices at sunrise, uh, sometimes before. So again, my, my body shifts very easily. So sometimes I'll do them at three 30 in the morning, which I really love to do. And then I go back to sleep and, and I have like my second round of sleep. Um, in the summertime, I like to go outside and do sunrise meditations. So I'll do that. And I have like a certain, like I said, energetic practices and yoga practices that I do. Um, and I do those at night as well, but a different form, because if I were to do what I did, in the morning at night I wouldn't sleep <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'd be too energized so it's it's definitely a different form um, on a good day I also do it midday uh, just for grounding and especially in between client sessions if my day is a little bit hectic then I don't have a set time that I set aside in the middle of the day but throughout the day I'm constantly checking in with myself what do I need do I need a little bit of grounding do I need a little bit of this so I'm always paying attention to how my body fluctuates because even when I do a reading or I tap into someone's field, again, I have to come into a state of my own centeredness. And this happens especially when I'm giving um, energy clearings. So that is much more involvement in the energy field. It's not just reading the energy field, but also, let's say, editing it. (laughs) Mm. Um, And so that involves a lot more, um, I don't want to say entanglement because I don't entangle myself with, with people, but Involvement is probably the best way. Mm. Um, And I have my own way of clearing my field and coming into grounding. Mm. Um, Food is is something that uh, I pay attention to my body about quite a lot. So there are some days where I can't eat very much. My body just doesn't want it. And that happens a lot if I do sunrise meditations because I receive so much energy just from being in the sun. And I also have to be mindful not to be in the sun too much because it'll be like I'm plugged into like a hydroelectric plant. There's too much energy. I can't ground it. Mm. (laughs) So again, these are things that I've learned kind of the hard way, let's say. Um, but, but one, one thing that is very steady about the food is, is always whole foods, always food that I've cooked either that day or the day before I cook all of my meals myself, or, um, very rarely I I might go to a a family restaurant, um, that, that has good energy. Otherwise I I won't eat there. Mm. Um, always focused on my breathing as well, making sure that I'm constantly breathing in, in a very full whole calm way um so i've become very sensitive to that if um i think that's probably one of and always very well hydrated so those are two things that i think are very very essential for everyone um comes up as a recommendation in pretty much every reading because most people don't breathe very deeply um in fact one of the 
the first things I do when I'm doing an energy clearing is I tap into the person's energy field and regulate their breathing. Because although I tell a client as soon as they lie down, I said, your only job is to focus on your breathing and breathe deeply. And there are some clients, I can see how hard they're trying and they still can't relax into it. It becomes like a job for them at that point and they become mm. nervous about it. And you can see like their their breath is fluttering, their heart is fluttering. And so then I go in and I, I guide it for them, teach them like, this is how you breathe. You know, they just have to kind of relax around that. So mm-hmm. it's interesting that even when people try to breathe deeply, it still becomes a, a very energetically rigid thing or a forced uh, mm. way of breathing. So breath is extremely important and that's taught in pretty much every traditional um, modality of, of arts or medicine. And hydration is so important. Hydration doesn't necessarily mean that you always have to drink water. It just means that you need to be deeply hydrated. And most people aren't, especially in in cultures where uh, in societies where there's a modern or economically developed or technologically developed way of living. Um, and I think that's that's the case for many different reasons. I think the primary one is that humans as in in these societies as almost as a rule are so stressed and they're so pushed beyond their capacity not to say that they're not capable of taking on what what they're doing they are and they're capable of taking on even more they're just not taught as you said at the beginning of our podcast they're not taught how to nurture themselves in the process of taking on more responsibility or more commitment and it ends up being like a race and people are chasing things rather than really wanting them and rather than really creating them they're chasing them because they think that they need to and that creates a sense of urgency and so people are very very stressed and that dehydrates the body and then dehydration further stresses the body because it actually elicits the stress response in the Mm. system so that starts to dehydrate the cells at the cellular level so you may be drinking lots of water and peeing it all out but your body is not actually absorbing it and so your cells start to dry out Mm. so it's really important to come into a state of receptivity drinking um water that is at a certain vibration you can bring it to a higher vibration if it's not something like natural spring water you can bring it to a higher vibration by first you coming into a state of calm blessing it coming into a state of receptivity coming into a state of gratitude and coming into a state of feeling ready to fully nourish yourself and to recognize that what this existence is and what this experience of life is, is not what is superficially being told to you. It's really about your experience. Mm. So is this an experience that you want to have that is just chasing what everyone is telling you you need to do and how? Or do you want to actually create your own inner experience irrespective of what you're doing as a physical outward action? Do you honor yourself enough and your experience value your life enough to say, okay, no matter what I'm doing in the physical world, I'm going to learn how to do it in a joyful way. I'm going to learn how to, it's kind of like, I call it the Mary Poppins approach where uh, she's saying, uh, in every job there must be done, there is an element of fun. Find the fun and poof, the job's a game. I love that line. Mm. (laughs) I think it's brilliant. Mm. And take out job and stick in any other activity you want to say find the fun in it and if you don't find it make it and you'll see how your entire life transforms your experience of yourself your experience with others uh, your relationship with others I feel that enough people or 
not enough people laugh through their life. And I I mean, since I was a kid, I was a little bit of a a lunatic. People used to thought, like, (laughs) what's wrong with this kid? Because she's always laughing. Like, I didn't think it was funny. She thinks everything is funny. And then they would laugh at me, which then would make us all laugh together. Um, But but I thought everything was funny. Like, and I still do. I, I just, it's not a fake response. It's just something that I think is the most wonderful way to engage with an experience. So it's, I wouldn't say it's habit for me. It's just, it's a natural eruption of joy. And I think that if people can start to laugh at things that are not so painful and learn how to laugh at those things, you can reach a point where you can even laugh at yourself when you're going through crisis. That sometimes sounds a little bit rude or crass or insensitive to say, especially for people who haven't reached that point yet. But when you do reach that point, you understand the deep wisdom of that, of realizing, okay, you know what? I'm in a crisis right now and things are so horrible. What can I find to laugh about? Even if even if you have to start off by watching comedy shows that is very outside of your life, just bring that lightness to yourself. Let your body relax. Let your body open. Mm. When you can start to laugh at yourself and how you're being and how you're taking something seriously, sometimes a crisis to someone isn't really a huge sort of... Um, and again, I don't want to put a value on people's crisis. It's their experience. But... Um, Sometimes it's it's something that is sort of self-created, you know? And when you can start to realize that, for example, um, I won't say who because she's someone who's near and dear to me, but I love this woman very much. And sometimes she has this experience of crisis when, let's say, uh, a job, a task isn't done properly. And then it's kind of the end of the world. And And to her, it's more than just that moment but if she can start to realize okay well let me put this in context is this really a crisis is this really something that I need to have ruin my day is this really something that I need to have like a dark grumpy cloud over my head about if she can laugh at how silly she's being in that moment she has to first come to the realization that she's being silly Mm -hmm. you'll see how things really start to lift because one thing is guaranteed life will always throw challenges at you. The more competent you become, the greater the challenges. And there are some that really can be very difficult to move through. For example, death of a of a loved one. That can be very difficult. But you'll also see that there are cultures who see that as a celebration. And what's the difference? It's just perspective. Mm-hmm. So whereas some people might think it's it's crass to laugh when someone who's very close to you has died, other people see it as let's celebrate that the soul has moved on to another adventure yeah hopefully (laughs) yeah no I love that I love that and it reminds me of when I went through a period of my life that was sort of my darkest up until now I guess darkest period of like anxiety and depression and I went to see a comedy show and I realized I had gone months I felt like without laughing and just the shift that caused and like the reminder like oh that's something I can do and like I feel so great because of it was just profound for me at that time. Um, and now I find myself, I have a habit of breaking things in the kitchen, <laughs> which which I've heard certain cultures will like break dishes to dispel negative energy. Right. And it always happens when I'm stressed or rushed or distracted, right? So it's to me, it's, now it's just a reminder, okay, calm down. <laughs> 
and it always makes me laugh because I'll be rushing. I have like three minutes to get out the door, and I smash a mason jar full of smoothie. And it's like, okay, like what else can I do but laugh and clean up the smoothie and get on with my day? Yeah. And yeah, it's just such a nice reminder, and I, and I really witnessed that. When I lived in Peru and lived with indigenous people, Beautiful. they laugh all the time. Yeah. They're always laughing. <laughs> I mean, you deal with problems as they come up, but they don't last and they laugh about it. And you come over to our very serious way of living and yeah. everything is so, you know, final and... Uh, Full has, of attachment yeah. and expectations. And it's just, and, oh, yeah. that's so much work. Exactly. Like, why are we, that's a lot of work. Yeah, and it's a lot of... Um, distraction from what life could be. And, you know, when I speak this again, to some people it might sound crass, but I say this because I've also gone through that. And so it's I'm not being insensitive and saying, like, I've never had a sad day or in mm-hmm. my life where I've never had disappointment. I've had plenty of those. Mm-hmm. I just learned how to move through them and process them in a different way so that they didn't become this very suppressive and ongoing chronic mm-hmm. challenge for me. Yeah, and so I feel like the key there is always awareness, mm-hmm. right? And when you can sort of peel back and see, oh, you know, Brian just smashed a thing of smoothie or Brian's <laughs> feeling disturbed or and like disassociate with the, you know, the the immediacy of it as yeah. it were and see Oh, you know, Brian just got dumped by someone or whatever it is, whatever the the event is. Um, And you can just really see, okay, this is the, I'm just a human and having this experience. And I mean, feeling bad about it and and giving it a bad story is not going to help. So I might as well give it a good one and lighten it up a bit and have some fun. Right. Mm -hmm. And when you really realize like how, I mean, the fact that we're sitting here and recording on these microphones and hooked up to these computers and transmitting this to who knows across the planet, it's insane, Uh, right? So it's like life is just crazy. So how can you not, like, it's this giant cosmic joke, as it were, um, that's playing out and we get to have parts. Uh, it's it's You're right. It's absolutely <laughs> fascinating. And when you start to contextualize things that way, it's so powerful. And as you said, you know, there's awareness and dissociation. So that detachment comes from an emotional neutrality from having observed what it is that you're now aware of. So that also, like you say, you can give it a bent where it's much lighter and it's much easier to to process and to accept and then to, to learn from. And what's also important is that, as we mentioned before and throughout this podcast, that you don't delude yourself and pretend that you're not feeling a certain way. So let yourself feel upset. Let yourself feel disappointed. Okay, yes, I feel disappointed. I really wanted that smoothie. I am frustrated because, or I do feel frustrated because I have to go someplace and now I don't have food. But again, you make that choice to say, all right, that's fine. I'm allowing myself to feel all of those and I'm also going to allow myself to not let this stick to me and to not let it become bigger than it already is. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, you'll see, you leave the house with that rain cloud over your head, like the grumpy care bear, who I think he's just the cutest thing. <laughs> <laughs> he's so cute. He always has his like big rain cloud. <laughs> nothing is good. It's like Eeyore, you know, like nothing is good. <laughs> uh... Everything sucks. <laughs> And you go out into the world that way, vibrationally, you will receive back what it is that you're feeling. It'll be a mirror and it'll just, you'll start to, whether it's directly you're grumpy around someone and they snap back or you're uh, 
you know, not necessarily directly grumpy at someone, but it's just everything. Even if someone then comes to give you a hug, be like, why are you touching me? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like you have to let yourself be open to the possibility and the experience of letting something go and being okay with that and not feeling like you're a bad person, not feeling like you're being unethical on some level when you say, this is okay. It's okay for me to not do this. Even if I was taught that this is the proper way to be, it's okay. Even if the rest of the society is saying you have to be upset about this, it's okay for me to see beyond that and to be accepting of it and Mm -hmm. to release it. Yeah. It's okay. And I would think critical for our continued evolution, right? Mm -hmm. That we have those people that are able to see past the veil, right? And it's like the only progress that's ever made is by people who are usually considered crazy, (laughs) right? (laughs) And so I, I, I Until take it as celebrated. A, yeah, exactly. <laughs> After their death or years yeah, later. Yeah. So I mean I take it as a good sign that um, most people think I'm crazy yeah. or weird <laughs> or whatever. It's like of course I don't want to be normal. Like why who, why would you want to be normal? Like normal in this world is like sick and overweight and depressed and you know, all this stuff. And and just, I would even say that's not normal, that's just common. And there's a yes, huge thank difference. You. <laughs> Thank you for reminding difference. me. I'm usually the one who who reminds people of that that the difference between normal and common. So yeah. thank you for <laughs> for bringing welcome. that up. Yeah. No. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, a couple of last things, or maybe the last for one. Sure. Well, first of all, I'm curious if you have any um, like if people are interested in learning more about the energetic realm and working with that and learning about how that interfaces with our bodies, if there's any like books or courses that you found really great or that people could sink into, um, um, I'd be curious to hear. Well, truthfully, because of how this has always been a natural gift for me, like from the time I was three years old, mm. I I haven't trained specifically with a certain human, like an incarnated human. I haven't uh, really read books about it um, or watched movies or or looked for resources. I know they're out there, but Mm -hmm. I I would say actually what I would direct people to the most is um, looking at traditional systems that are very well developed. So particularly Ayurvedic systems of not only medicine, but of the, I guess, how they um, sort of describe the world, the mechanism of how they they understand existence. Um, Blending that with the understanding of traditional Chinese medicine, which is a reflection of Ayurvedic medicine, but with a different bent to it. So there's a lot Mm. of wisdom there as well. That is just when you start to see things from a different perspective and you realize you're looking at the same thing, it actually keeps your mind open rather than thinking you just have a psychological understanding of a given perspective. Look at it from a lot of different perspectives Mm -hmm. Um, and also Tibetan um, medicine and South American medicine. I think there's, or, or systems of seeing the world. And I think there's a lot of richness in African, um, and Middle Eastern traditionals so the hermetics, mm. um, and the alchemists. I was interested from the time I was a little girl because it's, they were just memories of my past experiences of, of my soul. So to me, it was something that I've always been drawn to, um, and I think, like I said, there's a lot even in, in the African systems, but we're just not as aware of them and don't have as much access to them. And they're not as integrated as as they are for the the um, the sort of 
cultural systems that I that I just mentioned. So I think that that's a really excellent place for people to start, and you can see that people are already starting to open to open up to that, which is beautiful. Beyond that psychological exploration. I always recommend people that whatever it is that you're experiencing or learning psychologically to always bring it back to your own experience. So start to experiment with your own self, your own emotions, mm. your own body, come into a mastery of who and what you are. Mm. And, you know, I always say that my my body has been like my greatest teacher. It really has been. I've been observing the subtleties of this system ever since I was a little girl, even in, in correlative ways that when I would express it to academics, when I was going through my years of academia, uh, they just thought I was absolutely nuts. <laughs> um, and so I, I um, stopped expressing it so much, but didn't stop observing and didn't stop trying things out and testing things. Um, I actually just taught a course or gave a workshop. It wasn't so much ta- teaching course. It was giving a workshop um, called uh, Deepening Self-Awareness Through Energetic Intimacy, where I encouraged people to become more intimately related to themselves, to this start to deepen their energe- energetic sensitivity. So there are a lot of tools and modalities that are pretty common, things like meditation and also um, traditional arts like yoga or tai chi and qigong Mm -hmm. that are sort of obvious roots. But even those can become mechanized if you're not really feeling into yourself. And you can feel into yourself every moment of the day. Start to recognize what is going on within your system emotionally and physically when you are in a certain environment, when you're eating a certain food, when you're thinking and breathing a certain way, when you're interacting with others a certain way, when you're looking at the world through a certain lens of perspective. That's what's going to help you get to a deeper state of understanding energy more than any book ever could. Because books will give you a sense of maybe the... um, psychological concepts it's not until you experience it that you really understand even when Mm -hmm. when I describe things to people um you know I was sort of gifted I guess you could say with uh the I process things synesthetically uh ever since I was a child so for me to describe what it is that I experience is is beyond words and everyone's experience is beyond words if they allow themselves to reach that point where they start to shed whatever conceptual or thought processes that um that limit their own experience so i I hope that that yeah okay (laughs) no it's great it's great and it's so true that yeah until you have felt something and moved through it it's not really real um and so uh, yeah i love that I mean, it just reminds me or reflects back to me how well conditioned I've been by our society to go to books and to go to, you know, head knowledge yeah. um, for answers. And, and I can relate because I'm, I'm a bookworm myself. I, mm-hmm. I spent, um, when I was a child, my favorite place to go was the uh, was the library. And I just spent hours reading. I was, I would like... I, I grew up when there wasn't any internet. So to me, it was, I would read books and I would read the dictionary and I would 
if you look in the dictionary and, and encyclopedias, which we had when I was uh, growing up, it's similar to what you find online where there are links, but except they're just not links. You have to go to another book. You have to go to another page. Mm-hmm. I would go through all the references and go to original uh, publications of things when I was doing research. And, uh, you know, having gone through many years of academia, including university, grad school, I was always entrenched in psychological and, and conceptual knowledge, which is very fascinating. And it does take you far. It just doesn't take you all the way, which mm-hmm. I think is one of the reasons that um, science is science is as bounded as the scientists who, who conduct it. So mm-hmm. I won't say that science is bounded. It's how people approach it. So for scientists, um, which I think on some level, everyone is a scientist, whether you do it professionally or not. It's just, it's just a way of thinking and a mm-hmm. way of exploring the world. Um, but empirical science as is defined in so-called Western culture, um, for a scientist to have his or her own perspective of the world much broader beyond the mechanics of, of what is described in psychological um, concepts and, and in books, that's the real sort of breakthrough science that, that you really start, that changes the world and changes how people think. Um, inventors are, are gifts for that because they start to incorporate very new ideas in different ways of kind of manipulating natural phenomena and that's how we have technological advancements right there's a lot of creativity that comes into that and you have to think beyond just what you've learned in terms of um, the mechanics of things or what you've learned in a book Hmm. Hmm. yeah yeah one last one that i sure. like to play with is what is something that you either recently or are currently letting go of? Hmm. That's a really good question. I think for me, it's ongoing. I'm not sure. I can't think of something that I, that is new that I'm letting go of because there are two things that I've been ongoing pretty much throughout my adult life, let's say, so adolescence and, um, and young adult and beyond, that I'm constantly observing myself when it's happening and say, no, no, not like that. <laughs> the first one is beliefs. Um, and the second one is probably related to beliefs, and that's judgments. So beliefs being uh, when I think that I understand something, Um, As soon as I think I understand something, I feel, hold on a second, I'm putting it into a box. And I'm not allowing something new to happen or to be. And that's something that I don't feel comfortable with. It feels very dogmatic and reductionist for me. So from my perspective, when I'm fully clear and not allowing this patterned way of thinking to, to impose itself upon my perspective or upon my experience. I think everything and anything is possible. And uh, like you, I've been called crazy to express myself that way. But I also feel that given how much I've experienced throughout life, that most people, at least as I was experiencing it, 
weren't validating, didn't, couldn't relate to, didn't have an experience of, and yet it was so real and true for me, and I couldn't relate it to others, I think, okay, well, if that was true and real, and it seems so absurd and so unusual, then I think that absolutely everything is possible. And from from the time I was, I don't know, maybe a young teenager, um, I started to realize that the only thing that really limited my experience and that limited anyone's understanding of this life and conceptualizations, stories, whatever else it was, is our neurological structure. So to move beyond your neurological structure is the process of self-realization, God-realization. And at that point, you can't even come close to explaining and describing what that experience is. So how can we when we're operating within the limitations of our neurological structure, understand in its totality what is possible and what is not possible. And as we're creating this entire experience, both individually and collectively, and as we embody the force of creation in its totality, how can we not realize that the only thing that is limiting us from experiencing something that is now considered impossible is our lack of creating it or a lack of allowing it to come into being. So that's the first thing. Um, and the second thing is judgment, where I'm experiencing something and I'm saying, I don't like this. <laughs> I don't want it. <laughs> or I do like this. I do want this. Um, every time I cringe or every time I feel a, I want to say a sense of satisfaction in that I don't want to feel satisfied, but a sense of satisfaction that comes from validation of something that is rooted in judgment, is rooted in uh, a good or bad or right or wrong kind of mentality, which I'm not very strongly attached to, but it still does present. That's another thing that I'm just like, ooh, let that one flow <laughs> mm. down the river. Let me understand what this is and not get uh, attached to it or stuck to it. And that's not something that I just do in theory when I'm sort of with myself, but also when I'm interacting with others. So just like everyone else, I've had experiences with people in relationships where the outcome or a certain experience of of what I was having like in the relationship with a certain person wasn't what I really enjoyed. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And it's, it's really difficult to, I won't say it's difficult, but it's very much a challenge and it very much gives you the opportunity to put into practice everything that is an ideal in your mind when you're sitting around philosophizing about things and you really have to put it into practice and you really have to start to see the world and that experience from another person's perspective even if you think that person was being dishonest was being disrespectful was betraying you on some level or didn't appreciate you whatever else it is how do you let go of all of your sense of disappointment or how do you not get so attached to your egoic or even sense of wanting to control something, wanting things to be a certain way, let go of that and really open up and say, okay, what was this person going through? Why did this person behave as they did? What, what is my responsibility and how all of this unfolded? How do I really truly let go of this judgment of this person. And when you start to separate behavior from a person, 
and you don't attach a person's choices to who and what they are, and you can still love that person for just being another living being and recognizing how they're making choices is not in alignment with having a harmonious relationship with this person or to having this person in my life to a certain degree or or at all, then you can still allow yourself to feel love, be discerning about what a certain behavior and experience is and not have a judgment of it. And that's a process that is ongoing because even in the future, I'll probably meet people who once again will be like, oh, I didn't realize I was behaving this way or I didn't realize that however else, whatever else it is that presents, um, that I was judging this behavior, that I had a certain expectation. And it comes up when you feel uncomfortable or when you feel disappointed um, or when you feel hurt based on mm-hmm. someone's behavior. So that's, that's another thing that I'm ever reminding myself to let go of. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. You're very welcome. Thank you for sharing. And in the, uh, in the respect of time, I think we'll wrap mm-hmm. here. For sure. Um, this has been wonderful. And I just want to acknowledge you for these gifts that you're cultivating and sharing and the work that you're doing and the message that you're getting out there and the brilliant, clear mind that you've developed and cultivated, like just communicating with you at such a, such a high level of awareness that is so refreshing to interface with and, and, and relate to. So, yeah, just thank you for, for doing this work and being who you are. You're very welcome, and thank you for giving me this opportunity and for presenting yourself, too. I loved everything you presented at Heal the Field. It was really great, and we resonate for a reason. And what I say a lot of is you can't understand something or recognize something that is being presented to you until you already have an awareness of it. So on some level, you already understand everything that I've already presented. Maybe you didn't articulate it in your own mind in a certain way, or maybe you don't articulate it out loud to other people, but it's something that on some level is familiar and understandable to you. So Mm. honor yourself for that as well. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, for people listening that are interested in your work or maybe want to have you tap into their field and sure. do some, you know, where's the best place to, to find your contact? So my website is probably the best way to, to find me. Um, it's www.energeticsofconsciousness.com. Okay. So energetics of consciousness, all one word. Okay. And I'll link that up in the, uh, in the show notes. And um, sure. yeah. Thank you so much. You're so very welcome. Be well, everybody. Thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, stay beautiful. Yeah, I I second that. (laughs) Okay, peace. Woke up this morning, refreshed from the evening. Dreaming about all the homies I believe in. I had so much time to think. I got sisters who are mothers and brothers who are fathers to me. Ready?